Hello, hackers, and welcome to another Cyber Talk, which is a weekly discussion between uh, Alexis, also known as Hacker Exploit, um, and myself here, um, in which we actually answer your cybersecurity questions. So um, you can leave your questions in the forum, which is linked in the description of this video. And we're actually going to try to do our best to answer it or answer all of them as soon as possible. Uh, but be patient. So uh, without too much further ado, uh, and without uh, wasting too much time, we'll just uh, jump right into today's, uh, today's questions. Um, Alexis, uh, I think you're, yeah, uh, I believe your mic was uh, muted for a second or so. It's back on. Uh, yeah, hearing you loud and clear. So let's jump into the first question, which says, good day. Uh, I would like to know how to attack open ports like port 22, which is SSH, port 23, Telnet, port 8080, 80 more like open ports generally thank you so uh, i'll take the lead here and uh, give my intake sure. on this one first and then i'm actually then i'll be looking forward to your answer alexis okay um so First, uh, I would actually understand that this is, uh, you're, ans you're asking this question um, for ethical uh, purposes, I mean, uh, and that's how I'm actually going to answer to your question. You're asking how to attack open ports. Well, hopefully, and my answer uh, is that you're doing it for ethical, with permission, with uh, uh, permission for penetration testing and not to actually do black hat stuff. So if you're doing penetration testing with permission for a company or for a client or for someone, and you're actually doing network penetration testing, um, to actually know how to attack these open ports, uh, I would first go to, I would just start with a simple Nmap uh, to kind of like, uh, I'm not muted, right? Can you hear me, Alexis? Yep, I can hear you. Okay, so uh, I would actually first look into what services run on those ports. And that's actually a thing, uh, a, that's just a simple Nmap away. You could do a simple fingerprint with Nmap, uh, a minus SV, Nmap minus SV would, uh, would give you a decent results, which you could cross check with uh, Nikto and of course, um, if you dig Metasploit or Metasploit, uh, you could also try using Metasploit and other scanners to kind of like see whether or not uh, all of these uh, tools that you're using uh, give the same results. And probably the most important thing would be to actually try to uh, fingerprint or try to get a manual uh, recon of these uh, services. So. SSH, for example, so port 22, from what I know, is like quite solid. It's usually not vulnerable unless uh, there's a very old version running on the server. Um, Telnet could be, could be an open box, so it could be a mixed bag, uh, and you could get a lot of surprises. I've seen like scenarios where um, 
uh, Telnet was actually uh, a very weak point in someone's uh, server. Uh, what else? There's like 2020, uh, 21, which is FTP. Um, and in terms of FTP, it depends on what kind, what kind of uh, service you're actually running. There, there are quite a few uh, FTP servers with a lot of vulnerabilities. So you would be looking into that. Now, as for uh, web ports like 80, 443, 8080, uh, I would actually not only look for these and actually try to uh, fingerprint them, but I would also look for other ports because there are a lot of web apps and web servers that run on less common port numbers. So not only uh, 80443 and 8080, there are like dozens of other uh, ports that uh, run or host web servers. Um, and in this case, I would actually run an nmap uh, with the minus P minus. So minus small cap P minus um, parameter or argument. And of course, probably a general uh, suggestion in this case of uh, how to attack like custom ports. Since we're talking about network penetration testing, I would be looking for, there are quite a few uh, good books and courses uh, on the topic. And one that, that comes right in, uh, at the top of my mind is like the Cyber Mentors is a network penetration testing course, which is all yeah. free on YouTube. And he actually, it's like 25 plus hours of uh, video um, himself actually doing uh, network penetration testing. So make sure to check that out. Yeah, so I, I guess this is my, this is my input for this, uh, for this question. Hope it's helpful. Alexis, what do you think? Um, yeah, that, that, that was very comprehensive. I think um, just reading the question, uh, it's more directed at just attacking ports in general. So. I think the first thing you need to get a grasp of is the various protocols that exist and uh, and the different ways you would interact with them. So you know, um, let's let's take an example of SSH. So um, you know, SSH can be configured uh, or is uh, configured by default on port twenty two. Uh, however, th this really doesn't mean that it can it can be configured on another port. So that's you right. should, that, that's something you should also right. keep uh, you should you should also keep an eye on. Um, so I think that's very important. So understand the default ports for various services. And of course, you have to keep your eye out for, uh, for you know, the same services being run on, uh, on various other ports. So just as, as Chris mentioned earlier, uh, ensure that you scan all the ports with Nmap. So uh, that is done by using the, uh, the hyphen P or the minus P minus uh, parameter. Uh, and also ensure that you're scanning UDP ports, uh, because I think that's... Uh, that's extremely important, uh, you know, in regards to, to, to you know, completely scanning your, core, your, your, your host or your target. Um, now, when it comes down to a methodology regarding targeting ports, as I said, the first thing is to scan all ports and, you know, keep in mind the, uh, that services could be uh, configured on uh, different ports, not, not just their default port. Um, so let, let's just take an example. If you're able to identify that you have SSH running on port 22, uh, you can uh, you can start performing the service uh, version enumeration with nmap as well using the sv command as chris mentioned and uh, again with the example of uh, ssh there are there aren't any um, you know inherent vulnerabilities with ssh um, commonly but uh, you you will come across them with some older versions um, uh, the, the most uh, the most popular target 
uh, or a vector for attacking SSH is usually through brute forces. So uh, yeah, that's usually the, the only way you can go about it. Um, so uh, it, you can perform a search exploit for the version of, uh, of the SSH service that is running on the, uh, on, on the host. Uh, if there aren't any inherent vulnerabilities, you can, you can try, uh, you know, using default credentials. However, that's something that, you know, is, is not really common, but that's one way of going about it. Um, in regards to web servers, uh, which was mentioned just briefly with port 8080 and 80, uh, I think just identifying the, uh, the the web server technology that's being used, uh, whether that may be Apache or Nginx, uh, that's very important because again that can give you an idea of the inherent security vulnerabilities that you that this uh, this service might be facing, and uh, you can use various tools to identify uh, inherent vulnerabilities in the service like Nikto, um, which is great for that, and then you know brute force. Uh, uh, directory brute forcing is very, very useful as well. You can use tools like Derb or Derbuster for that. And uh, in regards to the web application itself, I think that's uh, out of scope of this question because you're now dealing with uh, an entirely new web app or a separate uh, entity. So that's what, what, what I think. Uh, you would actually be surprised uh, how many uh, servers these days and like, are still running with default credentials, credentials like root root and uh, root yeah. admin and root one two three four and stuff like that. There still probably are a lot of them out there in the wild. Definitely, uh, I know that uh, back in the days, like maybe fifteen years ago, there were these uh, scanners for for uh, roots uh, for mm -hmm. SSH, uh, uh, and they would actually run these. Uh, with a list of maybe 20 uh, usernames and probably 20 passwords. And you would get like dozens, you would scan entire classes of IPs and you would get like dozens of results. Uh, and some of these servers were even up for um, years. Yeah, and so in, 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 it's funny you mentioned that because uh, you, the similar thing you can do today is use using Shodan where you can actually find these servers out in the wild. Yes. And may, many of them, you know, still use default credentials, you know, find various uh, CCTV cameras, uh, Microsoft servers, uh, so it's very, very prevalent in them. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's one of these things that you find uh, quite often. One of the best things of this, uh, this year's is uh, uh, Black Friday was mm -hmm. that Shodan had a really, really good promotion. They, yeah. uh, they, they ran for like maybe, it was, it was their 10 year anniversary or something like that, I don't know. Uh, and they had like uh, their entire thing for $1. Yeah. I and think it was lifetime subscription uh, for $1 which yes, was really in, awesome. In fact, uh, I, I think they, they also added last year, uh, but, but that was to, to do with the sale particularly, but I, I picked it up two times uh, for, for separate accounts because I, th I think it's a fantastic resource to have. It really is. I haven't been using uh, Shodan too much uh, so far, but I want to actually get more into it, uh, most especially in terms of bug bounties since yeah. I started more about bounties. I know, that, I know that a lot of people use it as a very good resource. So definitely looking, maybe, maybe we'll discuss about Shodan uh, more specifically in another video. Yeah, Let's definitely. Actually not
yeah, let's actually not get uh, diverged too much uh, out of uh, scope here, mm -hmm. as they say in, in bug bounties. Yeah. So let's go to the second one. The second question from you guys, uh, which says, hello guys, congratulations for a very interesting video. Well, thank you. I would like to ask how I can start learning to use IDA and where to practice on and where to practice on. Which binaries, for example, to disassemble or decompile? Thanks. So uh, I don't have too much to say on this. Uh, this is more like your uh, area of expertise, Alexis. But what I want to say is that a couple of months ago, I believe, or a little less than a year ago, um, I was looking a lot into trying to learn uh, reverse engineering and uh, malware analysis myself. And one of the best resources was uh, crackmes.one and we'll link to everything in the description. So don't worry about memorizing this. So this website, crackmes.one uh, is actually, it contains all, uh, all of the reverse engineering exercises that were um, on this uh, website called crackme.de, which was a very popular website and no longer exists uh, for I don't know what reason. And uh, these are actually categorized into different dif uh, difficulty levels uh, from all the way from beginner to advanced. And um, they are on not only on C and C++, but they are, they are also uh, reverse engineering challenges for, uh, for .NET, for assembler, or Java, Visual Basic, uh, and so on. So uh, yeah, go look into crackmes.one. And the thing is that they not only have the challenges, but they also have like uh, the walkthroughs. So I believe uh, most, most if not all of the challenges have also the walkthroughs there by the author or by some other people. Um, and then uh, what I will also recommend is this book called Reverse Engineering for Beginners which uh, can be found at beginners.re. And this is a book by Dennis Yurichev. Uh, yeah. So this is a 1000 plus page book that honestly, it contains everything you need uh, to get yourself uh, started and practice reverse engineering all the way up to advanced level. So it, it, it's actually a free book. You just go to that website and you download it. And the, uh, the practical examples in the book um, are for only debug um, and they're also for IDA. And I believe if, if I'm not mistaken, uh, they're, they're also for other uh, debuggers from what I know. And finally, or not finally, uh, there is also the workshop that's available at begin.re. Once again, all the links in the description. So this is a free workshop that's been put up by two people, I guess. Uh, um, and uh, that would be, it's super practical, which uh, you, some of you know that I'm, uh, that's my thing. Um, and like I said, it's free and it's worth looking at. And of course you have a ton of good free resources online. You just have to know how to look for it. But, but since all of you are like, uh, hackers and you actually like this stuff you're uh, you have curiosity in your nature so be sure how to uh, know how to look for stuff online but 
don't look into too much stuff. Take one of these resources and actually start with that resource. Once you get familiarized with it, once you feel like you're good with that, move on to something else. Don't try to chase like 10 things at a time. So yeah, I guess uh, that, that's, uh, that's what I wanted to say with uh, respect to this question. What do you say, Alexis? Um, yeah, so this is a, it's, it's a very good question. One that I think I, I don't usually get regarding malware analysis, uh, more so because it's, 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 it's focused on, on a particular tool, which I think is great. And it's, it's one of the issues with, with such a diverse market in terms of the, the various disassemblers uh, you have out there. So, you know, you mentioned uh, just a few, you have uh, IDA, IDA Pro, uh, you have, um, you have OLED, the OLED debugger, uh, Gidra and uh, the I think the radar uh, disassembler as well. So uh, th those are just a few of you know a plethora of uh, of, of debuggers and uh, and disassemblers that you have out there. So I think uh, when it comes down to to IDA, uh, I, I personally learned IDA by you know uh, trying out various uh, various uh, what would you call them uh, various samples. I was working with uh, with real malware samples, uh, more specifically with uh, with ransomware. Uh, now, now you mentioned a very good site. Um, I think it was uh, crackmes. One, and yeah, I do remember the old domain being on uh, crackmes. Um, I can't remember it. De. De. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, that's one great resource if you're looking for a structured, uh, practical approach. Now, if you do want to to to, to get started with uh, with real samples, and of course, you do need to you do need to exercise caution when using them. Uh, this is, uh, I think the website is called dasmalware.eu. Uh, uh, the link to, to, to this website will be in the description section. So you can check it out for yourself. This uh, has like uh, various uh, samples, uh, you know, ransomware, uh, key loggers, etc, uh, etc. Et so you have tons of samples that you can work with there. Uh, now regarding uh, IDA Pro, uh, I personally, as I said, uh, learned IDA by uh, by using the tool and uh, looking through a few blogs uh, but one book that really did help me uh, a lot uh, in regards to mastering ida i haven't mastered it yet but um, i'm working on it uh, that book is uh, it's called the uh, the ida pro uh, the ida pro book that's actually what it's called and it's by chris uh, it's by chris eagle um, so it, it really it really does cover the various uh, the various aspects uh, of uh, IDA Pro and the various bits that you should be focusing on in regards to improving your skills. So, you know, whether it be working on your uh, your efficiency uh, with key with keyboard shortcuts and, you know, just getting to know the tool a lot more. But uh, in order to get good with IDA uh, and to, to understand it, uh, you know, at its core, I think you need to you need to actually just uh, uh, approach it uh, practically. Uh, and this can only be done by by going through real samples. Um, I do have a few other blogs that, uh, that do have write-ups for these samples. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have them in front of me, so I'll be posting them in the description as well. So you can check them out if you're interested in, in that. Um, so that's pretty much all that I have to say about that. I mean, uh, IDA Pro is, uh, is a very uh, practical tool, so I think that that's the only way to approach it. Of course, uh, and we actually need to be super specific when answering these questions because I, I believe uh, this sort of discussion, especially when testing uh, real, uh, uh, real malware uh, out there in the wild, I guess we could do a, an entire series on that topic alone, on how to set up a virtual environment to make sure that 
you are able to efficiently test the malware yeah. so that uh, the malware would know or wouldn't be, from what I know, there are malware which can actually sort of like sense they are in a virtualized yeah. environment and some of the their actions aren't triggered because they, it's kind of a protective mode. They wouldn't be triggered unless they would be on an operating system which is not sandboxed or virtualized. I think this would be an entire discussion and we could get into it. Uh, maybe some of you guys are interested. We might get to, into this stuff. I think Alexis would probably <laughs> like that. Or am, am, I, am I wrong here? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's actually it's it's quite interesting what what you just said and uh, very very important um, and I think it'll, it'll actually turn into a very interesting discussion uh, onwards if if we, if we do want to go down that route. Um, so yeah, we we do have uh, what what we call uh, VM busting malware, where, where they actually uh, they, through various signatures uh, they're able to detect whether they're in a virtual machine and they're able to if you do have unfortunately have a bridged connection to your to your host operating system, they're actually able to to propagate Escape. themselves, yeah, and and, yeah, and to, yeah. to to infect your your host operating system. So that's a rabbit hole that we we can go down. I'm, I'm sure uh, in quite in depth, and uh, it will be very 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 interesting. We'll keep it in mind. Yeah. Okay. So question number three: Do I need to know assembly level language for malware analysis? Um. Okay, you want to take this, Alexis? Um, yeah, so I think it's it's more of a rhetorical question, and I know why uh, why many people ask it is because assembly can it can be quite complex to to understand and to master, but you really don't need to master assembly language. Um, so to answer your question, firstly, yes, it's extremely useful to know uh, malware uh, assembly language uh, for malware analysis, and uh, again. Uh, typically because um, uh, from whatever point of view you look at it, uh, whether you're performing static analysis or dynamic analysis, it will all uh, so, so sort of converge into you uh, actually needing to reverse engineer the malware. And in order, in order for you to reverse engineer the malware, uh, you need to know how to read assembly code because the disassemblers will disassemble the binary or the executable and in some cases will give you uh, either C or, uh, or, or uh, assembly code. And uh, more so, I think it's very important to, to know how to read the code than to write it because that's what you'll be dealing with. So I would say focus on, on understanding registers uh, and, and how they work, uh, what, what the, the, the different registers do. Once you know that, you'll, you'll, you'll have the gist of it. Now, if you are struggling to, to, to get a grip of assembly, I, I would say uh, one, one of the best books uh, that covers this and has been a great reference for me even till today is a book called The Art of Assembly Language. So this pretty much covers all the essentials that you need to know to write uh, and of course to, to, to actually read assembly code and to, to sort of understand what's going on. But I, I would recommend uh, going through the registers because they're, they're the, the most important aspect of it. I think the, the art of assembly language is by no starch, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah it is. Okay, so uh, I don't have too much to add on this. What I would actually like to say, so do I need to know assembly language for malware analysis? Probably the short answer is not necessarily. You don't need to know. Same as you don't need to know coding for penetration testing or bug bounty hunting. But 
Uh, and the big but here is that uh, you don't need to know, but it is very useful if you do. So if you have a lot of experience as a malware analyst or as a penetration tester or as a bug bounty hunter, uh, you know where to look into the code for potential weak spots. Uh, mm -hmm. So you actually know what to look for and how to look for. This is if you have a lot of experience. Uh, and also you would have some, uh, if you know assembly language or malware analysis, for example, uh, or for reverse engineering, or if you know some sort of coding for penetration testing or bug bounty hunting, you will have a lot of, a, you would have a, an advantage over other people who do not know that. Because uh, in terms of like, for example, assembly for malware analysis, uh, you will uh, know or you will be able to understand uh, and debug how the instructions are being sent uh, to, the, to the assembler. So you will also know if you know assembly, um, you'll also know how malware is able to execute what is executing instruction by instruction. And you will be able to trace through the instructions and through memory. So um, you, the short answer to the question is not necessarily, you don't need to know assembly uh, for malware analysis, but it would be a very big plus if you do. Yeah, that th 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 was a very good point uh, in regards to uh, to behavioral analysis where you, uh, you actually uh, mentioned uh, executing the code um, in, in a debugger or, uh, or disassembler and sort of watching it through every step. Um, so uh, just going back to the question, uh, you can, you can uh, definitely explore areas like dynamic and behavioral analysis where you're pretty much looking at what the malware is doing in a sandbox environment. So taking a look at, for example, if you're dealing with a Windows uh, executable or a portable executable, you're uh, you, you would take a look at uh, what traffic is being sent through, you know, using a tool like Wireshark, so traffic analysis. Um, you then have, um, you then be, you'll then be taking a look at the registry, looking at what registries are being created and, you know, so on and so forth. So uh, definitely it's, it's a very useful uh, skill to know because it's, it enhances your understanding of how the malware works that way. So a very good point there. Um, just to, to add another thing here, um, I don't know, I mean, there are a lot of people that, that ask this question, do I need to know to code in order to be successful in cybersecurity, whatever subfield you would be wanting to work on? You do not know, you, you don't have to know, but it's gonna help you a lot, not only in cybersecurity, but in other aspects of your uh, computer science perspective or in, in, in uh, it, it not only is going to help you in computer stuff, but it also knowing how to code is gonna help you how to think algorithmically, which is really important in many aspects of life. You might not see the parallels if you, mm -hmm. don't, if you do not know how to code, but you will see the parallels or the analogies when you know how to code and probably the easiest way. So assembly might be a bit like um, scary for a lot of people, uh, but you, you could start 
by learning the aspects of programming or by learning the structure of a language using Python, which is probably the easiest to start with, one of the easiest to start with. And once you know those uh, like concepts of programming, which applies to most, if not all, uh, the programming languages, it would be much easier to you to look into other languages. I mean, over here, it might be a bit of a stretch because assembly is kind of a different thing in of its own, uh, but it's still, it's still not as hard as some people might think. And like Alexis said here, it's not that you, you'll be uh, having to write entire programs in assembly or in assembler, but you would uh, look for the ability to know how to read assembly, not how to write assembly. Okay, so um, let's actually move to the next one okay. uh, because I think we've, we've kind of spent quite a lot of time answering uh, this one. Yeah. So question number four says, uh, thanks for providing this platform to answer questions. I enjoyed your last episode, episode three. Um, yeah, so fellas, uh, if you are new here or if this is the first episode that you're watching, make sure to watch the other three to get a bit of a more understanding of what we're doing here. And we're going to link to these episodes in the description of this video. Um, so he says, or she says, I am enrolled in eLearn Security PTP version 5 and I struggle with note taking when I study. Do you have suggestions or advice for taking notes when studying for a certification or in general? What is your approach for studying? Thanks. Okay, so let me just go about it. I don't have too much to say uh, and then we'll just move back and forth. Okay. So I'm just gonna be super practical or super uh, succinct here. Uh, and tell you what I did when I studied for the OSCP. So when I studied a couple of months ago for the OSCP certification, um, I took notes using Cherry Tree and OneNote. So I used both. Yeah. As for Cherry Tree, uh, if you're not familiar with it or if you're not familiar with note taking, this is uh, this is a program that's usually used in Linux, uh, and for uh, the OSCP specifically, there is this very popular template that everybody is using online and I'm going to link to it in the description. So if you use that template in Cherry Tree, uh, it's gonna be a lot easier for you to start taking notes as you go through the labs. Uh, and it's gonna be like not only much more easier, but much more convenient and much more comprehensive. So you'll better understand the entire methodology of penetration testing, which is a plus. Um, and what I did was to actually take that template uh, and I actually modified it and adapted to my personal like methodology when I studied for the OSCP. I said that I also used OneNote, so I used OneNote uh, as a kind of a backup. So uh, this not only applies to the OSCP or to some to some other certification, but I would like to think that this applies to life in general because when it comes to important stuff, passwords, uh, important notes, sensitive information, uh, every, it's like it's really important to have redundancy here. So this is this is one area where you would uh, long for redundancy, meaning that it's always better to have a to 
have a backup plan and to have a backup of the backup plan, such as having a plan B, a plan C, or a plan D. In case something fails, you can actually fail safe. Um, so yeah, aside of the OSCP and certification stuff, uh, in real life and in, in my current job and uh, as a penetration tester and also uh, as a wannabe bug bounty hunter, um, aspiring bug bounty hunter, I've learned, and I cannot stress this enough, that note-taking is really, really, really important. Uh, and it actually draws the line between um, a mediocre security researcher and a very good security researcher. So it's really important, make sure to take notes for everything that you do, not only in certifications, but also in your work, in your current job, in, in your work as uh, whatever kind of work you would have in cybersecurity. Yeah, so that's kind of my take on it. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great point you, you sort of ended, uh, you, you ended on there with, uh, in regards to actually documenting uh, whatever you're doing as a security researcher and, and just generally uh, if you are a penetration tester or you know incident responder whatever the case um, so I, I personally like um, I like switching it or dividing it into two sort of sectors uh, so one of them deals with uh, you know with digital uh, data and content so you know if I'm if I'm doing a CTF or a box on Hack the Box, again, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Cherry Tree is pretty much the standard for everyone now. Uh, but I also, yeah. find, I also find myself using uh, mind maps quite a lot when breaking down concepts or uh, when, when storing information in sort of in, a, in the form of a hierarchy. So I think Cherry Tree is great for storing, uh, you know, useful tidbits and bits of information that, uh, you know, that makes sense. Uh, personally, when, uh, when, when I'm studying either for a certification or a let's just say for a test i typically take notes in a not in a notebook so i usually have a notebook where i take all my notes now this is just a personal thing that i found works for me i i personally you like, like the it. physical experience right yeah I, I like the physical experience and i just find that when when i write something down i sort of remember it uh, better so uh, that, that's a personal thing um so in regards to uh, you know studying uh, I usually switch uh, between, uh, you know, my notebook and if I have important no notes to take, I, I'll, I'll use OneNote. Uh, that's if I'm using Windows. Otherwise, I, I have a replacement. Uh, I can't actually remember. It's a, it's a replacement for Linux. Uh, I'll post the, the link in the description. It's, it's a great replacement uh, or uh, alternative to OneNote for Linux. Uh, and you can sync it with all your devices. So it's really great. Um, so I usually I usually use that uh, when now when it comes down to to actually taking uh, meaningful notes, I usually like or follow the Feynman uh, learning technique, which is uh, essentially it, it deals with actually writing down the concept that you're studying and uh, you know so sort of get, getting the overview of what you're dealing with, uh, breaking it down, and then you know uh, sort of explaining it and seeing where Feynman uh, the the Feynman learning technique. It, it's uh, it was a technique created by a, a physicist called uh, Richard, Richard Feynman. Feynman yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, for for anyone interested, you can just perform a quick Google search of that, and uh, they, they'll explain it for you. So I find that that usually works great for me in regards to finding areas where I I have uh, you know uh, 
gaps uh, with with my knowledge or understanding um and yeah uh, uh i think in the in the last episode you mentioned uh, a very interesting book uh that i read uh, quite a while ago and i've been returning to ever since and that is deep work uh by cal newport i believe and uh, yeah, yeah. The very, very in interesting and useful concepts uh, and ideas, uh, you know, explained and discussed in that book regarding, you know, focus time and having dedicated time to, to actually learning or, uh, you know, whether you may be doing research or whatever you're doing really uh, that involves knowledge and learning a skill. And so, you know, I would recommend having, you know, fixed schedule time every week. Uh, you know, and it's very important to schedule it before time so that you're aware of what you're going to be doing on that day. So, having a fixed set of time, whether it may be a batch of hours or an entire day where you're going to have, you know, fully concentrated learning uh, or a research process. So I think that's, that, that, that's what I find useful and, and that's what works for me. So I, t I take physical notes um, and I like uh, breaking down concepts to the point where I can understand them uh, quite well or, you know, well enough. And of course, having a set periods of time where I'm really just learning something or, you know, just working on a project without any uh, interruptions. Well said. Uh, so in terms of like actually deep work, uh, that, uh, that book uh, just starts becoming popular from what, I, from what I'm seeing uh, uh, online. And it was written like at least four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's a really, really good book. A lot of popular people, a lot of popular figures uh, start, uh, start picking it up and recommending it. And it's probably because, so it's, it's becoming more popular because it's harder for us to actually uh, be able to focus efficiently because we are at all times uh, like hunted for attention by all sorts of stimuli from within our environment, from within our surrounding environment, and also from uh, everywhere online where we actually spend our time. Uh, so it's really important to actually focus on only one thing at a time. And that's actually a plus for someone who, who can actually do it. Up until a couple of years ago, uh, there was this uh, very, uh, there was this time management book. Um, I, it, it kind of, I don't, uh, I don't remember exactly its name, but it's also, the author has also uh, kind of patented a time management technique, um, but I'm gonna link to it in the description, or if I remember it, I'm just gonna say it uh, while we're still here. So um, yeah, uh, that's that. Let's actually move to, uh, to the last question for today, uh, which says, unless you have something to add, uh, no, you to what pretty I just much said, Alexis. Pretty much explained it uh, quite quite well there. Um, okay, so the last question says, recommend or uh, yeah, kind of sort of like a question. Recommend me some useful. Uh, Python libraries to learn and how to work online using my little hacking experience and also how to improve <laughs> how to improve my hacking experience it's kind of a <laughs> yeah it, 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 it makes me laugh because it's not like a question but it's like a one liner mm -hmm. and I should actually try to make some something out of it so I'm yeah. not really sure if I can follow but the thing would be uh, 
this guy or this girl or this person asks um, for uh, useful Python libraries that would help in cybersecurity or something like that. Uh, do you have uh, what are you what do you think, Alexis? Um, yeah. So uh, as as he as he mentioned in his uh, <laughs> his question, uh, it's it's a very vague question. So I can only answer it from my perspective, and you know from the libraries that I use. So, you know, I, I'm a network penetration tester, so I typically deal with networking libraries. Uh, the only ones I can recommend are gonna be, of course, the socket library, uh, the Nmap library, uh, the SCAPI library for packet manipulation, you know, packet capturing manipulation, etc. cetera. Uh, now, when it comes down to dealing with uh, HTTP requests, uh, I'm not really sure. I, I, I typically just write scripts based on networking and uh, interacting with networks. So as I said, for me, I usually work with the Python Nmap library, the Socket library, and the SCAPI library. Now, you, you're someone that has uh, quite a good experience with Python and uh, you know using it, uh, you know, whether it be online or for, for networks. So I would love to hear what you have to say. Well, yeah, these are actually the main ones that you've mentioned. So uh, I'm not really sure if Nmap is that useful as a Python library for active scanning, but hmm. uh, it would be really useful if you're trying to automate some sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. If you try to do some very, very custom uh, Python script that would uh, do a combination of different Nmap scans and you would actually have to save your output to different files uh, exactly. that's where I would say it, it, it would be really useful, but yes, Python Nmap is a, and I think there are more than one libraries that deal with the Nmap in Python. Mm -hmm. Secondly, mm -hmm. really important library in Python when it comes to cybersecurity is the socket library to actually manipulate network data to build network communication components yeah. in Python. Uh, then, of course, you would actually have a, a SCAPI, which allows you to analyze and manipulate uh, network packets. Uh, then you have programs like ReconNG, which has been written in uh, Python, mm -hmm. which is a tool for open source intelligence. Uh, you also have one of the most important libraries in Python is requests, yeah. uh, which allows you to... Um, it's actually super important for manipulating web requests together with beautiful soup. They make a great combination yeah. uh, by actually parsing HTML uh, in a very like user friendly manner. Yeah. Well, a combination of requests and beautiful soup uh, in terms of reverse engineering. Uh, there's uh, there's Mona. If <laughs> I think this is something that a lot of people have heard of, which is kind of like a plugin, sort of like a plugin, uh, which is used with uh, Immunity Debugger. And of course, you have probably tons of other libraries, one of them being own tools, so PWN tools, uh, which does a lot of things. Uh, it's kind of sort of like Recon NG. It, mm -hmm. It's a kind of like a Swiss, Swiss army knife. Uh, a combination of tools under the same umbrella, so under the same library. These are uh, these are a few of the ones that uh, I suggest uh, I suggest to this uh, person asking the question. Of course, 
there are tons of other tools. I mean, there are probably really thousands of other tools uh, in Python, depending on your purpose. So of course, if you know Python, or if you want to learn Python, you could learn Python to actually write some of these tools to actually automate some steps of your uh, penetration testing process of, or of your bug bounty hunting. So this would be like a very efficient way of combining the learning of a language with actually your uh, real job as a cybersecurity person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I think you just mentioned beautiful soup. I, I, I actually remember using it once for um, for requests, uh, but that, that was just on a side project. So yeah, that, that's also very very useful. Um, yeah, you 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 cover that quite well. Um, so I think that that again, as I said, is uh, is quite a vague question. But um, if they are looking for advice, I think they they, they seem to be experienced with Python because they're asking, you know, about libraries and they know that the power of Python lies in, in the libraries that you use. So I think those, those are uh, some of the best ones available. Now, of course, they're not all, but uh, you, you'll pretty much find them as you go. Uh, you know, if you're working on a project, they'll pretty much come as you search for them. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the web, uh, the web uh, search engine is your friend here. Mm -hmm. Um, I think uh, probably these days one of the most powerful skills that you could have is to actually know how to search for things because the internet is an ocean of data and if you don't know how to search efficiently for things, you're going to be lost. But in terms of uh, uh, requests and beautiful soup, I actually have like quite a few videos in which I go through a real world scenario from a tech defense labs where I'm using uh, requests and beautiful soup to actually brute force a WordPress uh, login or something like that. So yeah, I guess this covers everything we had for today. Um, and of course, I wanna reiterate the fact that we are on Spotify. I'm not sure if I mentioned it. Uh, so this is gonna be, this. these talks are not only, not only gonna be available on YouTube, on our channels, but they're also going to be they're also going to be available on Spotify so you can listen to it as a podcast and they're also going to be available on Apple Podcasts. So probably by the time or if not by the time you're watching this video but uh for some future episodes you will also have the links uh to the specific resources that I mentioned to the podcasts on Spotify and on Apple uh podcasts uh, and of course make sure to check the other uh, uh the other episodes of cyber talk and most importantly uh make sure to uh, leave your questions in the form so that we can answer your cybersecurity questions uh you have all our social media following in the description of these videos so what are you waiting for go actually uh look for our stuff um, on social media. I guess, uh, I guess that's all for today. So uh, thank you, Alexis, for being here and thank you guys for watching. Yep, thank you everyone for watching. And if you're listening to this uh, on the podcast, uh, thank you for uh, listening, uh, listening to us or hearing us and uh, we'll be seeing you in the next episode.